everyone. My name is Ryan Stacy, and welcome to the Hockey Minds Podcast. This podcast is presented by StatsCoach. StatsCoach is a hockey analytics company which works with the minor and junior hockey community. For more information, visit www.statscoach.ca or contact StatsCoach at Outlook.com. Today we're joined by Brad Yetman, assistant coach with the Rouen Aranda Huskies of the QMJHL. I've connected with Brad a few times in the past as we have a number of overlapping contacts, both coming from Eastern Newfoundland. Knowing he had a playing career in the QMJHL and possessing a unique path to his current position, I felt as if he would be a great person to speak with in regards to advancing in coaching. Those who know Brad know he is very open to speaking about his experiences and also about himself on a personal level, making for an even better interview, which I think everyone can learn from. With that, here is Brad Yetman. Assistant coach with the Ruin Around the Huskies of the QMJHL. Today we're joined by Brad Yetman, the assistant coach with the Ruin Around the Huskies. Brad, thanks for joining the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. All right, let's get right into it. Uh, how about you tell people where you grew up and speak to your involvement in sports from a young age? Yeah, so I grew up in Mount Pearl, Newfoundland, Labrador, which is literally right outside of St. John's, capital of Newfoundland, Labrador. Um, we, like my family, I should say my older brother and younger brother, we grew up playing hockey right from a really, really early age. But uh, a, a difference with our upbringing compared to most right now is that we didn't play hockey over the summer. We were quite, uh, my parents were quite adamant on the fact that we needed to play other sports and take a break from hockey. So. We all played soccer during the summers up until we got to around uh, midget age, second year Bantam, in which we focused a little bit more on the hockey aspects. And of course, travel teams come into effect there. But uh, we, we focused on playing soccer. And um, for, for us, that was a, a huge, huge aspect for just fueling kind of our passion for hockey. Uh, you take that little break away from something and when you get back to it, you just don't realize how much you missed it and how much you, you really put that extra time and effort into it. So we, we were fortunate enough to have parents who, who really saw the benefit of playing multiple sports. Um, we went to school in St. John's, even though we lived in Mount Pearl, which was a kind of a touchy subject back in, back in hockey in Newfoundland, but uh, we used to go to a private school, so we made a lot of friends there. So our parents wanted us to keep growing with the same group of group of players and group of friends. So my dad found a way to kind of make that happen. And other other than that, I mean, we uh, we had a great young family life. I mean, our our parents provided anything and everything that we needed, and probably that we didn't need that they got it for us anyway. So we we're very fortunate to have a a great family and a great extended family with my, my dad's side of the family is very big. They're, they were 12 and now, uh, my mom's side of the family is, you know, we used to see them a lot for holidays and, and whatnot. And, you know, they were very supportive as well. So we're, we're very fortunate in all aspects to, to have a, a very good environment around us. Yeah. It sounds like you had a, a really good upbringing and, you know, speaking to, uh, being a multi-sport athlete, you know, it's always good to, uh, you know, get involved in those different sports and learn those different aspects. Uh, Nathan made sure that I would bring up uh, an old pair of skates that 
you uh, apparently still use, maybe you've had for a while. Uh, maybe just touch <laughs> on that for a second. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, well, when I was playing in Rwanda, I was concussed. So I had a concussion in November of that or October of that year. And I got traded at Christmas time. But they, so I was wearing the CCM, um, oh God, I can't remember the name now. It's like 10 years ago. But anyways, I, all I remember is like the, the big time skates Joe Thornton had on. So everybody loved Joe Thornton in that time. And, you know, it's, that was CCM's biggest pair. So I end up getting two pairs. And I'm, I'm terrible when it comes to hockey product. Like Nathan, Nathan can list it off. In a, in a heartbeat. I remember he used to be on Hockey Monkey looking up pro stuff, and he's like, oh, my God, the, you know, this pro guy has his gloves on there. I need to get those gloves. But um, I got traded from Rouen to PEI, and I brought the extra pair of skates with me. But what ended up happening was that I had already a new pair of skates. I had already worn them, only worn them for like a month. So I kept using those in PEI, but, of course, I got hurt again. and then. I took out my new skates, uh, trying to get back into it, like playing with Dal and stuff. And I had those and I still have them now. So Nathan gives me the gears a lot. And the players this year in Rouen gave me the gears a lot. They uh, asked, you know, just young guys that haven't seen skates that are, we'll say a little bit stiffer. And uh, they gave me the gears a lot, asking if I can do tight turns and if I can pivot and all that kind of stuff and once I once I show them what the what the old skates can do they they backed off pretty quick but oh yeah Nathan Nathan still gives me the gears about that anytime I get you know any birthday or Christmas or you know any kind of job that gets me a little bit of extra money oh you're gonna buy some skates you're gonna buy some skates like no nah, man I I like my skates they're they're good yeah no it's an interesting story and uh, I thought it'd be a nice thing to poke in there um, oh, yeah. So, you know, you, t you touched on your playing career a little bit. Um, you played in AAA here in Newfoundland and then also spent time in the Quebec Major League and uh, at the university level as well. Uh, touch on your playing days and maybe how it prepared you to work in hockey on the coaching side. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I played back back home. They, they had their like individual club associations before they switched to the, you know, the AAA format, making regional teams. Um, so I played right up through with Avalon Celtics. Uh, well, it was the Celtics first, and then they merged because of numbers into Avalon Celtics, played with them, and then jumped into the AAA Maple Leafs program in St. John's. So at that time, there was only one team in, in St. John's. So we were, uh, we were a little strong, to say the least. I can't remember our record that year, but it was something along the lines of like 27-1 and one or something like that. We, we swept through the playoffs, went to Atlantics, and uh, we won Atlantics. We beat Dartmouth in the final. Uh, we also won the Monctonian that year, which is crazy for, you know, thinking about Newfoundland teams winning the Monctonian. But we won the Monctonian. I think we beat Cole Harbor like 9-1 to one or something like that in the final. And we went down to the Telus Cup in, in Red Deer. And we finished, I want to say we finished – fourth or fifth or something something along those lines my memory's not the best but uh no incredible experience that first year of midget and also the throw on top of that uh being able to go play in the canada winter games out in uh the where was that now yukon on whitehorse so 
good experience for that. Uh, perfect, all things combined for for going into draft year. Uh, drafted in fifth round of Shawinigan in 2007, and just put in put in a lot of work. And it, I talked earlier about my parents and my family upbringing and, and stuff like that. And they were very, very humbling, and they pushed it on us that what we wanted to achieve, we had to work for. And all three of us, we worked very hard to, to get what we wanted and, you know, worked hard, went into camp and they offered to sign me second or third day of camp as a 16 year old. So I was really, really fortunate for a great opportunity in which they had kind of a, not a rebuilding team, but a team that was kind of taking the next steps to getting there in Shawinigan and um, had a great, first year in the league I thought uh, of course it starts off bumpy for any kind of 16 year old you get adjusted to the pace of play and being um, being sat out for a few games in a row really puts things in perspective going from you know being you know, a top guy in midget to you know you're back down to kind of the bottom bottom end of the food chain a little bit but you put things in perspective and, and you push extra hard to, to really get in the lineup. And when you do get in the lineup, you make sure that they have no reason to take you out and went on to play that year with the team Atlantic U 17. And then I had a great experience there at the end of the year, we, we were playing Claude Giroux and Gatineau in the finals and man, they had a. Uh, they went down to the Mem Cup that year, and they had a powerhouse of a team with uh, Claude Giroux and Paul Byron, and just they just had an incredibly hardworking team, gritty team, but also a team that could score and play offensive. And they, uh, we we had a very good uh, couple of games against them, but you know they just overpowered us. And unfortunately, I got my first concussion in that game, in which I got hit kind of on the blind side but when you look at the video it wasn't quite like that but in the moment I'm rimming a puck along the boards down below the goal line and guy comes up and he hits my shoulder but his hands run up kind of into my head and hit the stanchion and I uh, I was knocked unconscious and you know woke up on a stretcher in the Zamboni with uh, one of my agents um, you know advisors under him with a phone asking if I want to call my parents. I'm like, geez, like what, what just, what, what happened first? I mean, filling, filling a couple of blanks first, but um, that, that's unfortunately when it kind of uh, took a little bit of turn for me in my playing career, because I didn't let that concussion heal. I, I took maybe, maybe a month, month and a half off at the end of the season. And, Got uh, got a call to go out to Team Canada U18 camp in Calgary, and I just went pedal to the metal, full on into training, even though I wasn't feeling right. And first day of training camp that year, following year with Chewinigan, got a concussion out for two weeks. Fully kind of let it heat, like let it get to the point in which I felt comfortable in uh, in healing and. Got lucky enough that it was in time to play in the home opener against Valdor, and we were winning. We were winning like eight, eight nothing or something like that. And uh, our first round pick got hit, and I thought it was a late hit. And of course, in the moment, you just go with it. And I, uh, I went and 
jump the guy and anyways end up getting a high ankle sprain and as my GM my GM was not happy we'll say that right now it's uh Maritam Andu who runs the uh under 18 program for Hockey Canada still with Schoenigan now and he came down to the actually he didn't come down to the room he was already in the room waiting and he he was not a he was not a happy man we'll say that for sure and spent time in and out and when I felt comfortable with my ankle I'd get a little concussion and end up getting traded to Rouen, play a few games, get a concussion and play, rest up, play a few games, get a concussion, rest up. So then at the end of that season, which is my second year in the league, I, I decided, listen, like the concussions, it's, a, it's enough of that. You know, I, I got to really bear down and take some real, real time off. So I did, took some good time off. Um, and then in training had a couple of like, I. Uh, People always told me I was made of glass. Just in training, got a couple of knee injuries somehow, just like with growth spurts and, and that. And it's like, oh, man, I'm, I'm never – like you get in that mindset. It's like I'm never going to be able to play. But took some good time off, uh, started training camp, played training camp, played the season, then got hit from behind on a five-on-three penalty kill and got a concussion from that, missed the rest of the year, traded PEI. And then uh, at the end of the year – told PEI that, listen, uh, heading into my 19-year-old year, I said, listen, I'm, I, I can't do this. It's just too tough with the concussions. My mental health was, you know, very, very much, well, we'll say in flux. I mean, it's, it, it was something I ignored for a long time. You put such an emphasis on the physical health side of things to get back in the lineup. That's your only priority with getting healthy. It's just, I got to get back in the lineup. I got to get back in the lineup. That you know, your, your mental health goes in the opposite direction because there's so much pressure on yourself, not from others, but you put on yourself to really get that done. But then I took a lot of time off in PEI. I told him I wasn't coming back, but a couple of weeks before training camp, I said, no, like I, I got to give it, you know, an, another really good try and went back, missed the first month and a half of the season, got back in, played 18 games, I want to say, and, and just went to hit a guy in the whiplash effect just gave gave me another one and I missed the rest of that year and then didn't play my 20 year old year went to Dow got a full scholarship to Dow uh after healing up seeing doctors getting the full medical clearance seeing physio seeing massage hired a personal trainer in the gym for you know me and my younger brother Nathan and we trained four days a week and we trained hard like I trained the hardest than I ever did and went to Dow and didn't have a concussion but the stipulation of getting the scholarship to go to Dow was uh, that I had to see a doctor at the end of every year of, of while I was there. And at the end of that year, I had a lot of migraine issues and just some vision issues and talked to the neurologist and he was just like, no, like, sorry, I can't clear you to go back to play. And I remember that day, Ben McCaskill, who's my good buddy is over in Asia playing now. And he, uh, he said, do you, want, do you want me to come in with you? Because we all knew it was, it was most likely the, the end, unfortunately. You, you don't want to be pessimistic or, or negative or anything, but just when, when you kind of know, you, you, you feel it a little bit, even though I tried to be light on my answers to the neurologist. But, um, you know, he came in and lucky that he was there to have that kind of support leaving because it's so tough when you put your – your heart and soul in the something for at that point was about 16, 17 years. And then for someone to be able to tell you that it's, it's done, 
it's it's tough for sure and I know I like we talked about before about rambling so there's there's a good ramble already but ultimate ultimately for coaching that all those experiences that as negative as they were in the moment or at least perceived as negative there's such huge positives for me right now in coaching and that's something that I push so much on younger players that if you feel something is a negative, then there's something to learn. Like I hate using the word failure. Like I, I just hate using it because ultimately like I have my master's in psychology and, and talking with clients or talking with players, then the biggest thing is that as soon as you bring out the word failure, there's such a negative connotation around it. It's just like, Oh my God, I failed at something. I failed at something. It's like, no, you all, all you have to do, is just recognize that you just found one way not to do something. Like you think of all the great inventions in the world that it didn't happen on the first try. They just found one way not to be able to do something. And, and that's such an important key for young players and, and even for coaches. And um, it, it really fueled my coaching because a lot of people think that you need to play at a high level in order to coach at a high level. And that's not true at all. It, it's not. Does it help? Absolutely. Because for me, it wasn't the fact of experience of playing. It was the experience of the contacts. You know, I, I look right now, Mario Pouliot's the head coach in Rouen, and he coached me as an assistant coach when I played there 10 years ago. So I had that connection. But the big thing is, is that experience is key, and it's not just in playing. It, it's in every day of the life. It's, you know, hockey schools. It's presentations. It's you know, knowing this player that you trained that one time, it's, you know, it's just all those little experiences that you can gain. And even if it's something negative that fueled you to learn in a different way, a more improved way, a more innovative or adaptive way, then you can really be able to grow yourself as a coach or as a, as a player to be able to help, help push yourself forward into higher leagues. So that's the mindset I really adapted going from playing into coaching is to not look so much in dwell so much on negative but really to use those experiences to my advantage by learning from it first off but then also finding out ways that it can help me moving forward yeah, that's a great way to put it and you touch on that transition uh, going into coaching and and one of the first lessons that you learned there um, in 2011 you had an opportunity to coach at the AAA level with the St. John's Maple Leafs uh, how was that first year and uh, how was that for overall experience and learning process uh, starting out there yeah, it was, it was incredible. And, and one of my best friends right now is Darren Halloran. And he, uh, he was coaching the team at that point. And this was just early on when they put two teams in, in St. John's in the midget league. So we had a draft that year and uh, Darren brought me on after the draft because my younger brother, Nathan was playing and, and I just finished playing hockey and, you know, being a defenseman, that's what he was looking for. He was looking for a defensive coach. So I was very lucky to, uh, to have that opportunity to jump in because it, it filled the hole. It definitely filled the hole from being so kind of vulnerable to the fact that hockey might be done because I was in between uh, finishing at PEI before I went to Dow. I was there um, coaching, but it was, it was incredible. I, I learned a lot from that experience because of relationships with players. I was only a couple of years older than a few of the players, especially the third years. So I got I like I'll be honest I got way too buddy buddy with a lot of them um, and that was me as a first-time coach trying to gain respect and gain kind of accountability but for me looking back is that when 
when times got a little bit rough and I needed to be firm, I didn't have that same pull. And that was something I learned right away going back to coaching after I finished at Dow was that there has to be that divide. And, you know, I'm still very much buddy. I, I say buddy, buddy, like being too close, but now I'm very much buddy of a coach with players in Rouen. But they also know that when I'm firm that I'm still that coach. So I'm buddy coach. But they know that if they need something, they can come to me. But I learned that a lot from that year coaching with the Leafs, my first full real season coaching. And then, of course, you learn the aspects of, you know, organization, preparation, uh, game planning, post-game review, uh, being able to really ensure scheduling-wise what's going to work for the team. And then, of course, player management just within the game and ice time and, and within developing special teams, developing systems, and developing practices. So, you know, just being able to have that first glimpse at it. And, you know, I have a lot to thank with Darren, who uh, he really helped me out with that and still helps me to this day. So, you know, Really, really a lot of great learning lessons from that first year that I, that I still use to this day. Yeah, time and time again, people talk about those initial experiences. And a lot of times it is a AAA level or, you know, there's so many different uh, entry points to the industry. But it's definitely those places where you have a little more responsibility. And, and in your first time, you, you learn to make those mistakes uh, from making mistakes, sorry. And uh, obviously it sounded like it was a good opportunity there. Uh, during that period, you also assumed a role as a scout with the Charlottetown Islanders. How did you land that position, and how was it working for a Q team for the first time? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'll say to you, even, even before that, um, when I used to come home, I had uh, two coaches who were, who were phenomenal coaches, and uh, I think we might touch on this a little later, but just while I have it in my mind. But um, Steve Power was one and, and Steve Bishop. And Steve, Steve's son, Joel, plays with SMU right now, and son, Clark, obviously, uh, plays in, in Carolina system. But – Every time I would come home, they would have me involved in coaching. So whether it would be a junior high team, whether it would be a, a bantam team, whether it would be running, running skates. So even though I used those experiences as a player, that coaching-wise, I, I learned a lot from them within those different aspects. So being able to use that moving forward. But anyways, I just wanted to throw that in there because they uh, you know, talk about experiences and all shapes and forms, even if it's for a couple of weeks helping out a team or, or a month it's all stuff to put on, put on a resume too, and to talk about what you learned from that experience. But uh, yeah, so with the scouting aspect, uh, when I played in PEI, so it was my second year playing in PEI would have been 2010, 2011. We were getting ready to jump into the playoffs. It was March and I hadn't, I hadn't played since November. And I was still concussed. I went to go fly to see uh, Dr. Karen Johnson, who's in uh, Toronto. Me and my dad flew up, saw her, flew out. She was on, like, Olympic Committee for concussion management, like, all this. So it was, like, huge, huge deal. But she had said to me, it's like, this, like ultimately, it's up to you if you want to play or not. Um, your, your biggest aspect right now is that if your concussion symptoms last for more than a year, then that's usually the telltale sign that, you know, you, you need to step back. At this point, I had so many that were getting ready to go into playoffs, and I said to them, just listen, I'm, I'm not going to be playing right now. I don't want to be a distraction. Uh, mental health-wise, I'm not doing the best right now. I think it's best for me if, if I go home. And, you know, after talking, you know, the, a couple of them, especially my buddies there, say, well, why don't you stick around? You know, we could, you know, really use – 
usually in, in the playoffs as, as support and, and helping out and that kind of thing. And I was just not, not in a place to be able to do that. You know, you, you just, at times when, when things aren't going well, you, you just need home and went home. But the, uh, like one of the directors, uh, general managers, um, he, uh, Kent Hudson was his name. He said to me, he's like, well, if you're going home, um, how would you feel about doing some scouting? I was, well, geez, perfect, because that year, the TELUS Cup was in Newfoundland. So, was, all right, yeah, perfect, sounds good. So they didn't have anybody that they planned on sending over there because at the same time was the CSR challenge. So I said, yeah, perfect, I'll, I'll scout a few games and I'll, I'll let you guys know. I'll do up some reports and, and send them off and got into it there and scouted the next year while I was coaching uh, in Midget and even – did uh, I shouldn't say scouting, scouting, but even when I was at Dow, I, I still stayed on board just um, just because of connections back home and, and being able to check in on players and, and being able to know who's who back home with age groups and, and stuff like that. But it, it was an incredible first experience to see the game from a different perspective. And and again, you take those experiences and, and put it put it into your repertoire, so to speak. That you know, watching games at that year. Uh, I, I believe Winnipeg won. Uh, their midget team won, and I would not be able to like they just had a solid team. Wouldn't be able to really remember one player from that team. Obviously, didn't look at them in depth. They weren't in our territory. But you look at Lac Saint Louis, who had uh, Jonathan Drouin, Anthony Duclair, Michael Matheson, and they and Kurt Etchegary, who's a phenomenal player from back home. And you know, you watch that, and you're just like, holy, like how how do they not win from a scouting perspective? You're looking at individual players and you're like, how do these guys not win? But then you just, cause you don't look at the full team experience. So then you try to shift gears doing that. Like with your coaching, your combined scout, your, you're combining the team perspective and you're combining the individual player perspective. So I learned a lot from scouting with that is being able to really pick down individual players and then to be able to develop, you know, their tendencies, their habits, what they like, what they don't like. And even for our own individual players to develop, you know, to determine what they need to develop and what they consider as strengths and being able to really relay that information with them. So that first experience as a scout really helped me and, and helped me keep my foot in the door in, in case I was done playing, helped me keep my foot in the door in the league. So that was that was another big thing too. Yeah, and, and again, it sounds it sounds like another opportunity where you're just, you know, opportunities presented to you and you just jumped right into it uh it's funny you touched on that TELUS cup you know that's uh probably one of my first experiences kind of uh you know like realizing that maybe I wanted to evaluate hockey I remember Anthony Duclair was the first player I kind of picked out in that final I was uh I was in mile one that night and yeah. uh I just remember watching him and Kurt Echegary and and some of the other guys on that team and realizing and then obviously like you said they they didn't win and and you're wondering you know like how how this team with these top players you know like the the level of talent that was there was unbelievable and it kind of got me hooked as well uh, wondering what was at that next level and major junior and whatnot uh, but again it sounds like you had a, a great experience in that first year scouting yeah absolutely and and you know like you say it, you you always remember that first moment right you are like no matter what you'll you'll always remember that first moment in which it kind of just clicks it just it it just sticks for you. And it doesn't have to be that first moment that you know you want to work in hockey, but just, you know, even that moment that it like solidifies, you know, and, and it just gives you that like such a good 
feeling and it just makes everything worth it. You know, sitting in the rink or being in the rink for like 12 hours a day. And, and you're just even, you know, this year for like, there, there'll be times that we'll be in the rink for 12, like 10 hours. And then we're getting ready to sit down and watch an NHL game at the rink, even though we've been there for 10 hours and you just sit there, you relax, you breathe. And it's just like, yeah, like this is, this is what I want to do. And this is just great. But yeah, no, absolutely. I, I can obviously fully, uh, fully agree with that. And it was an incredible tournament and yeah, you, you always remember those moments. Yeah, for sure. Um, so uh, over the next couple of years, uh, you did a number of different things in Newfoundland to kind of gain some more experience. How about you talk about some of those roles, which included obviously Yetman's hockey and then a stint with uh, senior hockey here in Torbay. Yeah. Um, well, I was, I was, I was still in school actually. And uh, Patty Yetman, who's a very predominant uh, private hockey person back home, has two sons, young Patrick and Stephen, who were incredible hockey players, incredible, incredible hockey players. Stephen played a little bit in the AHL, and Patty had a very good, successful European career. And uh, Patty, young Pat, opened up his own gym. And he had an incredible facility and, and just needed somebody who had more of a hockey background and who could work good hours with him to come in and help him out. So actually... I, I had nothing to do with on ice. It was all off ice and being able to train hockey players and being able to really look up. Now I've no kinesiology background or anything like that, but I, I looked up, I touched base with, with, uh, with other people in the field. And I tried to make sure that what we were providing to the players was very adequate and it was very up to par. And, and we de- ended up developing a pretty good program that, was very very hockey specific we cut out a lot of stuff that was that we felt was unnecessary for hockey training and and being able to again a shift of perspective being able to see players in that kind of element and for me of course uh, having done that as a player you, you you go into another coach role a teacher role and you be you you push and you really develop that accountability with players so being able to help uh, run those programs and manage those programs was was incredible learning opportunity and we had some really high numbers and then I uh, I end up shifting gears because of getting other other work and and being in school more full-time and then getting more heavily into into coaching but I, I learned a lot from from Pat and from Steve when he was around and from Pat Sr. and and really making sure to push players in all facets of, of their everyday life. And, and it wasn't, and for me, the big thing I kept trying to push on the players then. And, and again, I was, I was still relatively close in age to a few of them is, is, you know, you, you have players who show up five minutes late. It's like, it's not that, okay, well in hockey, you know, if you show up five minutes late, this coach is going to be mad at you. It's like, no, no, it, you, you can't word that to him because what, you know, these players may not even go, go on to continue after this year it's like well if you show up to a job five minutes late what's the employer going to say you know you're always trying to teach life lessons no matter what and you you show the duality of of hockey to life and players really seem to grasp that it's like there's life after hockey and if you have these habits for that life after hockey then your success rate is not going to be as high as you want it to be so ensure that you're developing the good habits that are needed to be a successful person, not just hockey player, but a successful person. And I, uh, 
as much as the doctor you, you mentioned about coaching uh, with senior hockey, and as much as the doctor had said to me, no, like you, you should be done playing and, and that kind of thing, just had that itch. My older brother, Mark, was a goalie with the senior team there. So I decided to try to play a few games. And I remember uh, one game, uh, things, things were going pretty well. Uh, I, I would take a few games off here and there just if I wasn't feeling top notch, but it wasn't, you know, too bad or anything like that. It was just fun to get back into the player mode. And I remember there was one game that uh, my brother Mark came out to play the puck behind the net. And I was skating back to retrieve the puck and the other team's four checker came in. He, he tried to hug the wall. Uh, so Mark couldn't shoot the puck off the wall, but he ended up hitting him and knocking him back. So of course, what do I do? I'm like a bull in a China shop. I see red. I'm skating full tilt at him, and, and that guy is falling. So as he falls, I go head first into the boards. So whoever's listening is probably like, man, would this guy just figure it out and you know, stop playing? So the, the, like, the, the skin in, in, in your mouth that like, connects your lip to like, the bottom bones under your teeth, like, I, I ripped that in two and had to go get stitches. I know, I know, I know. And I had to go get stitches. And I was sitting in the, the hospital waiting room, and Dad's there, and he's just looking at me. and. You know, you can always tell with some people when they don't say anything, you know, you know, you're in trouble. So I got the stitches. I said to us, yeah, I'm done. He's like, if you want to live in my house, you're done. I said, okay, <laughs> that's fair. Even though I knew he was joking, I knew he wasn't joking at the same time. But uh, anyways, I, I would go up to watch the games. And it was actually later that year in the playoffs that uh, – they're the head coach, Daryl Banfield, who's an unbelievable guy. I'm not sure if you, if you know him, Ryan, but uh, he was involved with the senior team for a long time, and he, he got a new job. So his, his commitment was still 100%, but his, his time that he could put in just wasn't where maybe he, he liked it. So he could only make it here and there to game. So it was game one of the final. We were playing Southern Shore, and uh, they didn't have anybody to coach, so – uh, Joe Maynard, another very pronounced uh, hockey Newfoundland name, did a lot for senior hockey and East Coast hockey. Uh, he asked me, he's like, hey, coaching experience, you had your development one, you have your speak out, what do you think? Do you want to jump on the bench? And game one of the finals, I was like, uh, okay, sure. So we, we won our first two games. Um, then we lost – I want to say we lost games – we lost game three in double OT, which was a little bit of a dagger. And then we lost game four, won game five, lost game six, lost game seven, something like that. But anyways, we lost in game seven. But in game seven, I was pissed after losing game six at home. And I broke a – you know, being young and just being a little over the top intense, broke a – broke a dry erase board and looked at Joe and said, I'm playing next game. I'm playing game seven. And, and we went out, we, we lost three to two, I think it was. And, you know, the rust was uh, an understatement, I guess you could say. But uh, the next year after Joe asked if where, where Daryl was still working full time, he asked if I wanted to coach full time. And at first I hesitated because I was only, 23 years old and senior hockey back home. I think our average age of that team, we had a very veteran team. It was probably 29, 30, something like that. And me coming in, you had these guys who 
seem like we're playing senior hockey for more years than I was alive. So it, it was a tough experience coming in at first. And, you know, I, I learned from that experience of coaching first year, that first year midget of, you know, buddy, buddy with the players. And you really want to be buddy, buddy when you're younger and you want to gain respect. But I think the way that I gained more respect was just being honest. It, it wasn't honesty in the fact of being, you know, pissed off all the time or angry or shouting or stuff like that, but just, just being honest with the players in the sense of, Hey, listen, like I respect what you see and you had the experience, but let's try it this way. You know, just being able to take in that perspective of saying, okay, well, yeah, I know you, you have more experience than me and I appreciate that. And I value that. And, uh, but you know, I'll, I'll take a, a couple of those pieces, but let's really try this. You know, this team likes to do this. This team likes to do this. So we had, we had a very successful year. We were geared up to really make a push for the herder, but we lost to St. John's in game seven of the final that year, another game seven. And they, uh, they, they had a young, very, very uh, gritty team, which wore on us over seven game series. And we lost uh, – two to one in the in game seven, I think of that year. So that, that was a very tough pill to swallow, but you know, again, uh, another great learning experience and end up jumping back into midget the year after. But yeah, I like any, any job interview I did, I always talk about that year playing senior hockey because your communication has to be key. And, and that was something I, I learned a lot that year. And you really have to manage your emotions with an, with an older group of player because they, they see right through that. If, if you're being, uh, too strict, too passive. They see right through that and, and they know where they can kind of get away with certain things. So you have to, I, I learned to, you know, I wasn't perfect at it by no means, still am not, but really tried to have to learn to remain even keel and, and ensure that they knew where they had leash, where they didn't have leash and to really try to ensure that you're, you're putting your perspective and opinion as, as the last say with, with, mixed in of their opinions of course but you know a, a lot of, again a lot of learning experiences from that year and, and a lot of things again I'll, I'll say this I'm pretty sure after every time I ramble on is that a lot of learning experiences and a lot of things that I still use to this day yeah for sure and, and you know I, I I say it a million times as well uh you know I kind of started off in senior hockey uh Allen Cup and Thorold and and, uh, you know, it's not, it's obviously not the same as working, uh, you know, junior or, or even minor hockey, but it's still, uh, an unbelievable experience. And if you take it for what it is, you can, you can get a lot out of it. Um, oh, so, absolutely. yeah, for sure. So after those positions, you, uh, had a stint with team NL as an assistant coach for the first time. Uh, how was it working at the provincial level after obviously playing a little bit there? And how was that experience working with the best players in the province at the time? Well, I was, I was very fortunate enough that uh, I jumped into Team NL with, uh, with Donnie Roach and Bo Bennett. So Donnie Roach was head coach. And for, for hockey people in Newfoundland, Donnie Roach, it's, it, you know, in terms of coaching, he's the so-called upper, upper echelon. You know, Donnie's an incredible coach. And, and Don, I, I was very fortunate jumping into that because I've seen experiences with with hockey Newfoundland in which head coaches just like to do it all themselves. And the assistant coaches are pretty much just there to say, Hey boys, let's go. But Donnie said to me, he said, you know, this is a great experience for you. And, and he gave me a lot of incredible responsibility, incredible experience. And, you know, it's the same with Bo too. He, he, he let us work 
in, in certain areas that we felt we were good at and be able to really thrive and, and use the experience as, as a development opportunity. And it was, and it was phenomenal. And, you know, the, the aspect of the provincial campus is tough because you have pretty much two days in the spring in which you look at the players you have to cut. Uh, wouldn't be able to tell you how many at this point, maybe 30-ish players. I wouldn't be able to tell you now what the numbers were back then. I'd be able to tell you what they were now. But, um, and then you go into the summer camp. You have a week-long summer camp. And then you whittle it down into your team. You pick your couple of alternate players in case of guys getting hurt or who unfortunately can't afford it or just decide they don't want to go. And then you go to your tournament in, in October, the Atlantic Challenge Cup. And for my first full um, stint in Hockey Newfoundland, it was, it was a great experience. We ended up getting bronze at the Atlantics. We lost to... We lost to New Brunswick in the semifinal in OT. Uh, a guy went to do a wraparound to hit off one of our player skates and went in. But that year was a very good year for Hockey Newfoundland because it was the Mercer age group, the Brett Fudd, Joel Alex, Newhook. Even though Alex couldn't come because he was playing in Ontario, his school had a tournament that same time. So it was unfortunate for that. But we, we still had a, a very very strong team and a deep team that was a deep age group especially up front for forwards it was a very good group um, so being able to have that learning opportunity to see the ins and outs provincially and how things work at the the program of excellence was was a great opportunity for me and, and again learned learned a credible amount from Donnie the the head coach there and and learning from the players too that these are the the elite of the province that they uh, they had the skill set. They had the work ethic to to be able to compete at a, at a high level, and they want to be able to push themselves to a high level. So, being able to learn from them as well was was a good opportunity. Yeah, for sure. With the with the AAA program, and and then obviously going into Hockey Newfoundland, you know, you're you're dealing with the best players in the province, and mm -hmm. and being able to interact with those coaches, as he touched on, it's a it's a great opportunity, and. Um, personally, I've done a little bit of work with Hockey NL, maybe not coaching at the AAA level, but just being involved in, in that whole process, it's still, uh, you still learn a lot. Uh, so mm -hmm. shortly after, you'd go on to scout with Shawinigan uh, as a scout for them. How did you gain that opportunity, and uh, what was it like scouting for a different team in the queue? Well, it was, it was much different than, uh, than PEI, obviously, because PEI is, is an Atlantic team, so they, uh, they have – more guys in the Atlantic provinces to, to be able to kind of build up that scouting department versus Shawinigan who had myself and Paul Armstrong, who's, who's in the Halifax, uh, Halifax area municipality, I guess you could say. And it was only two of us for the Atlantic region. And that was uh, that was a much different experience because with, with PEI, the thing is, is that for a lot of the players who are higher on their draft list, they were Atlantic guys, so you might have seen them in the Monctonian. You might have seen them in uh, – it was – we went to, you know, Gatineau, and there was no ice jam at that point. But uh, you would have saw the guys, and you could make comparison versus Shawinigan. They predominantly had Quebec players more viewed, so they were higher on lists. So then when they would ask about, you know, a Newfoundland player, how does he stack up against so-and-so from Quebec, it's like, uh – this is a tough question, you know, because I hadn't seen the Quebec guy. So it was, it was a very different experience. 
but due to the fact that you just kind of had to stick to your guns on where you thought the player would get drafted just in the draft. So it, it forced you to, again, see the game in a different way in which you're looking at the list. You're trying to see who's ranked where and then being able to determine who got drafted in previous years, who's kind of a similar player, where did they get drafted. So you're, you're looking at things a little bit different perspective. But the way I got that role actually is – uh, and, and again, it's connection in hockey is that the, I mentioned Mark Tamondu earlier, who's still the GM in Schwinnigan. He was, his first year was my first year in the league when I played. So he called me and just said, Hey, listen, we're, we're trying to get more guys from, from the Atlantic, Atlantic region. We'd love if you jumped on as, as Newfoundland scout, um, having the experience of played here too, you can really speak to how how much you enjoyed your time and I truly did I, I loved my time in Schwinnigan I, I loved my time in every place in the league to be honest but uh, Schwinnigan being being the first team that I played for you know obviously had a had a special place but um, he he just asked you know if if you want to jump on it and be involved and I did that right up until last year when I when I played or not played when I got the job coaching with uh, with Ruan so I was very fortunate to have that have that connection but the big thing I will say that I'm sure some people who might be listening are be like, well, you know, how I don't have that connection. So what, what can I do? I, I don't have that connection. But the biggest thing is that you, you, again, the connection is key. Yes. But it, it's just being able to gain the experiences of, of being able to stand out, but don't be afraid to message people. Like I would do that when I was trying to coach is I would just message people. Even, even if I like had, them on on twitter or just saw like an opening or, or did like go onto the team's website like i did that for the years between charlottetown and, and uh scouting for charlottetown and scouting for schwinnigan i went on team's websites to see if they had a newfoundland scout and then i would send off an email to the gm just say hey you guys looking for a newfoundland scout and you know here's my experience da, 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 da. and you know that's that's a big thing so i mean that's that's an important thing. It's just be able to take that step out there. And I've, I gotten to the point in which I would just say, what's the worst case? They say no, but at least then you have your name kind of out there anyways, that in another year down the road, that if, uh, you know, that GM might say, Oh, that name's familiar. I don't know why that name's familiar. It's like, Oh yeah. He messaged, he sent me an email last year. It's like, well, there you go. So then in eventual couple more years time that you never know that, Hopefully you, you continue to grow up the ladder. Then all of a sudden you're applying for a job and they're like, yeah, hey, I, I emailed you. And then you have that connection. So yeah. it, it's just funny how the hockey world works. It's, it's big, but it's small at the same time. And, and people are, are very quick to remember names. So don't be afraid to kind of put yourself out there and, and really don't be afraid to hear no. Yeah, that's great advice. And, and some of the positions that I've had too, it's, it's sometimes it's just a simple email or, or you reach out and then two years down the road, they, they come back to you and just say, Hey, oh, you know, I remember I, I, you reached out. It wasn't something at that time. Let's reconnect and see what's there now. So, so definitely don't be afraid to reach out. And, you know, sometimes it could be Twitter, LinkedIn, you know, there's a number of different, number of different oh, platforms. Absolutely. absolutely. I mean, social media is so great for that right now. Like even, even if you're, you're scouting for, I, I wouldn't even know what, what kind of a team it's just, it doesn't matter. Like put, put that stuff, put that stuff out there. Keep it on a resume. Like that's an important thing is, is keep, keep an ongoing resume as, as if it's, you know, a regular kind of job, which it is at, at some point, especially if you want it to be, but 
keep an ongoing resume and that's so important don't don't think an experience is too small to put on a resume block it just put whatever put whatever you want on there but then when you're starting to write it up of course they want to know the big like the more big experiences but you know just just make sure that you don't overlook any experiences and and any times you applied for jobs or went through interviews or or had conversations with people or anything like that that's that's an important piece yeah very well said um in your final triple a position you were head coach of the east coast blizzard uh, just outside of st john's uh, talk about the opportunity to be a head coach at the triple a level and working with a relatively new triple a program as well as working with players in that draft year yeah the, it's it was very very eye-opening and uh, we'll, we'll say that because I, I joined the team the year before as, as assistant coach and was working with Chris Peach and and we had a, we had a solid group like we I think we underachieved and we we lost in the first round that year and uh, it, it was very tough that we like we did preparation but we, we I like we we still could have did a lot more so the year after um uh, Chris went, um, he went with another team, I believe, at that point, and, and the, the owners of the Blizzard asked if I would take over, and I emphatically said yes, and we lost a lot of players that year. So I, I think going into my first year as head coach, we had, I want to say we probably had 12 or 13 rookies, and nine of those were first-year players, and we had a, an extremely, extremely, extremely young team, but that's where I learned and you know you, you listen to guys like Gerard Gallant and, and Barry Trotz who, who talk about you need everybody you got to develop everybody if you want to be successful and, and that's something that I really tried to learn and, and use in coaching that year and had two two great assistants with me Jeff Brewer who still coaches with the team now and, and Scott Gordon who again another incredible hockey coach uh, from back home in Newfoundland who was a huge huge mentor for me and um, he really, both of them really helped me out big time. And we took that development aspect that we're, we're going to get better every day. We, we started off the year. Oh man, I, I don't even want to put my record out there. It was our record. I should say that let's, let's just say to start the year, we had few wins, many losses, but we ended up really turning it around because we, we had, we, we, we trusted our philosophy. We trusted what we wanted to do with the players. And you just see the players get better and better. And it was incredible to really watch. And I remember the big turning point for us that year was we were playing um, Moncton in the Monctonian. And we played them hard. We played them tough. And we, we lost by a couple, few, three goals, I think it was. But we played them really hard. And we ended up uh, coming home and just taking off after that. And, and another tournament we played really well. And uh, we lost in the quarterfinal of the ice jam in January. And we came back, we, we beat West Western were Western finished first place that year. And they only lost three games, two or three games, one on home ice. And that was to us. And we were the so-called, you know, young young team of the league and everyone swept us under the rug a little bit and we uh we lost to them two nothing the first game we beat them two to one the second game and you know it was it was incredible to see our team just develop and, and take off and we lost in the f uh, uh first round that year in game six to the Leafs who ended up winning it all in 
who had a really good run in Atlantics. So that really paved the way for the year after because we had a lot of returning players. And, and that year we were, we were blessed with great third years. We only had a couple of third years, but we were blessed with great third years. And uh, they really showed the way for, for our young guys. And heading into that next year, we had a really strong group of second years. And we ended up um, – we ended up finished first in the league. And we end up losing first round game seven again. I, I got that game seven curse apparently, but uh, we end up losing game seven that year, which was uh, which was very disappointing because we had a team that that could have won. You know, you, you always say could have won, and what you actually did is, are, are two very very different things. And uh, but for us, you know, we uh, we continued to develop. We continued to really push on our players to get better every single day, but I'll, I'll be the first to admit that I didn't maintain that development mentality throughout the whole year is that I got focused a lot of the times on trying to get first place to make sure we had home ice through to the finals that I, I overlooked that development aspect and, you know, that uh, obviously rubbed players and parents wrong way because I went against my word a little bit. And I'll be the first one to admit that, that, you know, that was uh, something that I, uh, I got away from a little bit and, you know, it ended up uh, affecting a few players in, in wrong ways, even though, you know, I tried to explain the process of things and explain, you know, what I was trying to do and, and what we were trying to do as a team, as a collective group. And, you know, that was, that was something that I, I still look back to this day and, and kind of wish, even if we lost a couple more games, that we still, you know, at the end of the day, every team made the playoffs that, you know, that was uh, an important piece is that coming down, down the stretch that we got so focused on that result that we lost kind of focus on our process of things. And that was, that was an important learning piece for me. And, and again, it was only my third year being a head coach, second year in a midget league in a, in a high end program. So I, I really learned a lot from that in that regard. So that was something that, I wanted to make sure that pushing into coaching wherever I went from there, that I made sure that what I would say to players or what I would say to people really rang true and, and rang clear because at the end of the day, you want the players to trust you and you want parents to recognize what you're doing for their son is, is what you said you're going to do and what's going to help them in the long run and, and be a very big positive for them. So that's, that's an important aspect. Again, communication is, is very key. So learn that heavily being a, being a head coach in a, in a midget program like that. Yeah, that's great. And you, and you talk about these things that you take to the next level. Uh, you know, today you reside in the Quebec Major Junior League with the Huskies. Uh, how did you, did you end up there? And uh, talk about the experience of, one, working as a coach at the Q level in your first year, and also the experience of maybe moving to, a, a, you know, a smaller town in Quebec and coming from NL. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the, the biggest thing for me was – and we touched on it earlier about putting yourself out there. I put myself out there. Uh, it was coming to the end of the – in Newfoundland, each franchise has three years' rights, and then they go back up for bid. So I knew I wanted three years with the Blizzard, and then I wanted to move on to other opportunities. And I reached out to anybody I could think of. And this is only, this is only last year. So I, as soon as I would see that a team had an open – open coaching position, whether it was video coach, whether it was assistant coach, whether it was, you know, eye in the sky, whatever it might be that I, I reached out, I sent an email right away. Or as soon as I saw that, you know, 
so-and-so was leaving this team. You know, I, I, I use, for instance, uh, Brad McKenzie, who's now head coach of Grand Falls Junior A. He was uh, assistant coach in Charlottetown for a while. As soon as I saw that he got the job in Grand Falls, I didn't wait for Charlottetown to put out a, hey, we're, we're looking for an assistant coach. I emailed the couple of people who I had met through scouting there and, and who I still knew and just said, hey, I'm sending my resume on if you could please forward it on and, and let me know. And then end up getting an interview out of that and ended up uh, coming down to myself and the guy who's there now and, and didn't get it. But they, they had said to me experience, you know, coaching experience and playing experience. And I, I, I always asked for, you know, that wasn't my first interview. I had a few interviews before then. But the, anytime I, I would always say, well, what can I do? You know, what can I do more? What, what can I do more? And it's not that I hated getting the answer. It was just they, they would always say experience. It's like, okay, well, are you talking about, you know, I need more playing experience because this guy, you know, just finished off playing pro or um, are you talking about more coaching experience? Are you talking like what, what's experience? And that's when it kind of hit me that is like experience can be anything experiences can be almost more scouting. It can be more hockey school. It can be more training. It can be more whatever you make it to be. It's how you word it in the interview process. And, and that's an important aspect. And I actually was in a verbal agreement to go coach with, uh, with Brian Casey, who's head coach in, in Fredericton junior a to be their third guy. And I pretty much called and called and, you know, we talked back and forth for months and I said, you know, I, I'm going through this interview process with Charlottetown right now. You know, if, if that doesn't follow through, then, you know, then here, I'll, I'll be up with you guys and, and get my fares in order in Newfoundland. I, but I knew I was, I was leaving Newfoundland. And, and uh, it, it's kind of, and to backtrack, it's, it's kind of that moment in which you just put yourself out there. Cause I, I told the owners of the blizzard, I said, I'm not, I'm not coming back. I didn't have a backup. I, I just said, I'm put my, you know, I'm doing the proverbial, you know, cannonball into the water here. There's no tiptoeing into the water. I'm jumping both feet in. I'm, I'm just saying I'm, I'm going. No matter what it is or where it is, I'm going. I, I need to get that higher level experience. And, and ended up that uh, Mario, who's head coach in, in Rwanda, Rwanda uh, messaged me. Just said, hey, are, are you, you know, how was how was your year coaching are are you still going to continue coaching and things like that I said oh yeah absolutely and they had just finished winning the mem cup of course and he just finished winning back-to-back mem cups with two different teams which is still astounds me to to this day and I'm pretty sure always will be and um you know he just said we we have an opening here we're a little late getting to it because uh we we just finished up with mem cup and the celebrations of course and uh, would you be interested in interviewing? I said, Holy, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, of course. So I, uh, that was on a Saturday. So I messaged Fredericton and said, Hey guys, listen, you know, I'm, I'm going through this interview process again. And, um, uh, mentioned it to my girlfriend. My girlfriend is from New Brunswick where I am right now in St. John with her. And she heard the, uh, the, the, you know, the prospect of me coming to Fredericton and she was cloud nine, cloud nine. And I was like, oh, yeah, you know, this is perfect. We're going to be in the same place and, and all that kind of good stuff. And then I said to her, I was like, well, 
I, I got this interview in northern Quebec, um, but let's, let's face it, you know, I, it wasn't that I was, I was being pessimistic. I was really optimistic with this one, but I was trying to keep a level head with, with her and, and, and that and just say, you know, I'm, I'm not sure how it's, how it's going to go. It's northern Quebec. It's, you know, um, it's with the for, – for coaching defense. Um, so it's first assistant coach, which, you know, you, you normally bring in guys with a lot of experience for that role. And I said, you know, I, I'm going to go through the interview process, but um, I'm not going to – you know, hold my breath or anything, just trying to, you know, keep things kind of even, even keel a little bit, even though deep inside, I was like a mad storm. I was like, Oh my God, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really, really praying to God that, you know, this, this is the perfect opportunity that I'm looking for. And, and, uh, that was Saturday. And then Mario messaged me on Monday, a couple of days later said, uh, Hey, uh, are you free Friday morning? And I said, uh, yeah, yeah, of course. So we interviewed, and it wasn't even an interview. It was more like 45 minutes of me and him just talking. And then it was like 45 minutes of kind of more formal questioning. But it was an hour and a half of me and him just sitting there. Next thing you do, and it, me and Mario are like that now in which we can sit down, have one thing to talk about, and next thing two hours are gone by because we just get talking about a whole lot of other hockey stuff. But um, that happened. And he said, wow, like this was, this was great. And I used all my experiences from before and, and talked about it, touched on it in the interview. and learned from inter previous interviews and he had said well I have a couple more coaches to interview today but you know really enjoy our chat and really love it and that was Friday afternoon by this point and then he said I said to him um, so do you have any idea on when you're going to make a decision he said well at the latest it'll be next Friday so I was saying to myself okay perfect sounds good really appreciate it so that if Fredrickson had come back I'd say well you know what listen I'm I'm in this process right now I, I said to them and said to Brian I said Brian you know I'm, I'm going full in with this I apologize for you know really uh doing this to you guys but you know I'm really jumping jumping in like this is a great opportunity and this kind of stuff and he fully he fully understood and and uh, anyways it was less than 24 hours later Saturday morning Mario called me he said hey I'm offering you the position I was just astounded. I said, well, what happened to, what happened to next Friday? He's like, well, no, I just really, uh, really enjoy our, enjoyed the conversation and, and all that kind of stuff. And I, you know, that's, that's phenomenal, but I have a little bit of, a little bit of an issue. He's like, why was that? I said, well, I can't really let you know until, you know, Monday night. He's uh, okay. Cause my girlfriend's at a bachelorette party this weekend in Nova Scotia. And I can't really tell her that I, uh, got this job up in Northern Quebec. I, I need to wait for her to get back and we can really have a good conversation. So she got back Sunday night, I think it was in, in New Brunswick. And I called her as a carry list. Um, got some news. She's like, you got the job, didn't you? Said, yeah, but I didn't accept. I, said, I, I truly and honestly want to, you know, talk this through with you because at the end of the day, you know, hockey's one part of your life and there's, there's so many other facets to it and aspects to it. And, I had said to her, you know, if, if you really don't feel that, you know, this, this can work, then, you know, there's still other options available. And she said, no, honestly, it, this is something that uh, you, you really want. And she was fully supportive of it after we've had multiple conversations. So I called Mario back. Uh, I think it ended up being Tuesday afternoon at this point. And I said, Hey, like, I'm going to, uh, going to accept and, 
from there on, it was nonstop phone calls of this is what we need to do. This is what we need to do. This is when you need to come up and bang, bang, bang. And August, uh, August 2nd, I think it was, I left home because I was doing a couple of presentations for Hockey Newfoundland out in Cornerbrook and drove across the island, did those couple of presentations and drove the west way up to Rwanda, Rwanda, which was like over 2,500 kilometer drive. So it was, it was a lot of fun doing that, but uh, no, I, I don't uh, definitely don't regret any decision whatsoever, and especially the fact that communicated with people who are very close to me and supportive of me, and, and you know when you have that good support surrounding you, making these kind of tough decisions is makes it a lot easier for sure. Yeah, and the opportunity sounds like in our right place, right time. You know, having that key connection, but I'm glad you also touched on uh, you know having that uh, support behind you and. You know, I can I can kind of speak to it. Uh, my girlfriend Emily, you know, she says sometimes, you know, you're you're dealing with all this hockey stuff, and it, it's a lot. But you get, you know, you got to have that support behind you, and and those people that even when you're like, maybe I shouldn't take this opportunity or whatever, they're still supportive and say, you know, I go for it. And you know, it's it's not always easy, and I'm sure people at all levels of hockey will say that, and scouting, especially a lot of scouts talk about, you know, being on the road and whatnot. But uh, it's great to have that support, and obviously you had it there with uh, with that position. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like you say, you know, you're like, you're, you're trying to jump into the profession and it's, it's a lot of uncertainty and, and it still is right now. You know, like I, I could easily be, be called tomorrow and just say, Hey, listen, I want to go in a different direction. And, and, you know, that's just the uncertainty of, of the profession. And, you know, it, you know, I never think like that myself, but it's just, it's just the way that, that hockey is and sports are that it, it's just, just the way it is but like you said that 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 support around you is so key it's so critical and and you know you you talk about for yourself too I, I know we talked a little bit before about you know jumping into different roles and different positions and really trying to get your foot in the door into a steady steady position and that kind of thing but you know that's that's so key when you have people who are supportive of that flip-flop around in different positions and that's that that for me was the biggest thing is just like Oh, well, I have this opportunity here. Okay, well, oh, no, wait, no, this one came up. Oh, wait, no, okay, well, now I'm going to stay in Newfoundland for another year to coach. Okay, well, no, now this one is in New Brunswick. Oh, no, wait, now go back. And then I'm sure at times my family and, and my girlfriend, just their heads were, were going 360 degrees, just like, oh, my God, what are you doing? Like, make make up your mind. And um, but no, it, it like you say again. It all comes back to support. If you don't have that support, it, it just it, it just makes things that much tougher. And yeah, it, I'm very grateful for that. And like you said, you are too. And you know, it's uh, yeah, like you, you just sometimes you lose, you you become speak, speechless with how great people are around you and how uh, how thankful you are for that. Yeah, and and as, like you said, the support is just so great and. And with teams in small towns, you know, support is always a, a big part of, of them succeeding. And you talked about the, uh, you know, the success with the Huskies in recent years. Uh, you know, you, you've been there and you've uh, spent some time in Newfoundland, some of these smaller towns. Uh, touch on the topic of small town hockey and the feel around it and maybe the importance of having development and coaching opportunities in these places. Yeah, absolutely. And as soon as you started saying, I was like, oh, yeah, right. You, you said that as part of the last question, too. But um, <laughs> No, it it was it was incredible because a lot of these small markets they have incredible fan bases, and that's what I loved about playing in Rouen was that their fan base is phenomenal and their ownership is phenomenal, and they just pour their heart and soul into the team, and that's what made it 
an easy decision for me to really want to go back there. And you, you still see it now and you see it even more when you're a coach because you see the ins and outs of the every, everyday running of things. And the big thing I like with Mario too is that he involves a lot of coaches within the community. So there's uh, a midget team uh, and a bantam team up there and he involves the coaches. He involves them in training camp. He lets them see the ins and outs of training camp and what's the conversations and, hey, what do you guys think? And even if uh, a couple of them are available to come on for practice, he has them come out for practice or, hey, come up and watch practice. And if you have any questions, come come down to the office after and, and chat and we'll we'll go through a few things. So Mero's really great with that. And I think that's a, a huge reason why a lot of people really appreciate and and support not only him, but the team is just because of how inclusive the team is of the hockey community, but also the community in general. So for me, small markets are what make the Canadian Hockey League what it is. And, and that's, that's a really important aspect of, of course, you know, do you, would everyone love to be able to work in, you know, a Halifax, a Moncton, a Quebec, you know, places that had these huge, you know, multi-million dollar facilities and, you know, uh, budgets and, and all that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. But it's for me, I'm, I'm much more comfortable in, in the small market because, like you said, coming from Newfoundland, you know, Newfoundland's not that big of a place. I know St. John's is, is a big, big-ish place. But uh, being able to go go into a smaller community, I feel right at home. And, and it's, it's so nice to just wake up in the morning, drive five minutes to the rink. You know, there's not going to be traffic. And you go out around, people know that you're with the Huskies and, you know, they they talk about how much they love the game the night before. You you go to Tim Hortons and the person behind um, is just like, oh, hey, we're going to the game tomorrow night. And, you know, we uh, we do a lot of great, like, community things as well. Like like this year, we uh, we connected with uh, Big Brothers, Big Sisters to, to give away two tickets to every game for them to be able to come and, and, you know, just those little community things. And, and you had people voice their appreciation for that and going, making hospital visits, making school visits, reading, reading to kids or just dropping off a couple of hats. I mean, it's just like, oh, my God, this is, wow, I, I just want a Huskies hat. Oh, my God. And you see the kids and they're like running around. Like, uh, I remember once we went to the English school in Rouen and we brought, uh, I think it was like five five gift items and it was one for each kind of age group and the youngest age they won uh like our mascot is kind of a husky mix of like a cat and everything and his name is lappy and uh, they won this little lappy doll and the kid got it i swear he did about six laps around the gym before finally a teacher grabbed him and was like hey listen you gotta come back to class it's like come on but you see that excitement and it just puts again i talk about perspective so much but it puts that added perspective. It's just like you see things from a different viewpoint. It's just you see how much the team is important to people outside of outside of the organization in the community, and you're just it just fuels you to want to do the absolute uh, another reason to fuel you to do the absolute best that you can possibly do, because you see the support, you see the passion that these people have, and it's just man, like like I can say. You know, Rouen has an incredible fan base, especially coming off winning seasons, and they've had, they've been really successful in the past five years. But 
uh, you, you just want to do so much and you just want to win so bad and not just for, you know, for yourself, for the team, for the players and the organization, but just for the fans, you just want to do so well every single game just to show, like have their appreciation, have their, had their loyalty kind of warranted, I guess, is, is the way I'm wording it in my head, whether or not that makes sense. But just, just to show them that, you know, their appreciation is, is understood, it's felt, and, and we're doing the best that we possibly can day in, day out, night in, night out. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great way to put it in that perspective. Uh, you know, it's the same thing in OHL and WHL. You know, every, every team just wants to, you know, do as much as they can in community. And then when you get that support, you just want to turn it into a winning product on the ice to kind of, like you said, give back and, and show that appreciation that goes both ways. Uh, I know you touched on it a little bit earlier, but you've gravitated towards mental health and that side of coaching, uh, and you've done some stuff through school. So maybe talk to your involvement in both hockey and in school and speak to its importance in coaching. Yeah, for sure. And and I'll, I'll, for me, again, uh, I think if you're going to find an underlying theme of our chat today, it's just experience and and using all experiences in, in one way or another. And, I, I battled with mental health for, uh, with depression, mainly depression, not, you know, a bit on the anxiety side, but mainly depression for, I would say for the latter part of like eight years, just, and, and it grabs a hold. And I, I'd like to think that stemmed from, uh, from concussions. And like I mentioned earlier about focusing so much on physical health, I didn't focus on mental health. And, you know, I've, I've had a lot of tough experiences in, in my life thinking on that and, times feeling like you're so alone and and you're so down and you you just don't see the proverbial light at the end of the tunnel and I thought so much on you know hurting myself and and you know is it really worth it and those thoughts predominantly took a hold of my my life my my everyday life and I, I will remember being in PEI specifically when when I got what would be my final concussion in the queue that I would be just down in my room in my billet house in the basement and it'd be pitch black. And the room is just so dark and it, it would be nothing compared to like the darkness and what I felt kind of in my mind that I, I just did not see a way to kind of break through that. And I was just, I didn't want to talk to nobody. I didn't want to speak about it. I didn't want help. I, I just, you just, you got uncom- you got comfortable with being uncomfortable in darkness and that this is just the way it's going to be. This is routine now. This is just it. And with how dark it was in my room that I could have swore it was like three, four o'clock in the morning when it was like lunchtime. And you just got into that mindset. And then finally, you know, it, it just got to the point in which it was, you know, I started feeling better with concussions, physical side of things started to get better, but you know, it was still to the point in which I was like, Hey, I'm, I'm still not, I'm still not feeling, I'm still not feeling well. So I, I need to, I need to talk to somebody. And, and throughout the past, you know, a couple of years, I would talk to someone here and there, but nothing really consistently. So I, I kind of broke the mold and reached out to my parents and said, Hey, this, this is, this is what I'm going through. This is what I'm, what I'm struggling with. And I think the hardest part for them is that they didn't know how to help and nobody around you really knows how to help unless you really tell them how to. But the hardest part for a lot of people going through something mental health related is that at times they may not, it's not that they don't need help. It's just that maybe they're not looking for help in that particular instance. They just want to talk. 
And I mentioned that to, to my parents before. It's just like, you don't need answers. You don't need solutions to what I'm telling you right now. That's not what I'm looking for. All I'm wanting to do is tell you what I'm going through and just get it out of my head and just get it out there. And I remember there was a, uh, a concussion uh, awareness group back home at Memorial University and concussion you they were called and, and Matt Eagles was one of the guys who uh, who pioneered that group and he used to play in the queue and uh, had a lot of concussions himself and I remember connecting with him a couple times and just chatting about our experiences and, and that was a huge thing when when I got back home and I decided to write kind of uh, uh, I don't know what you would call it, just about my experiences, I guess, a memoir of sorts of what I was going through. And, and I remember sending it to him and letting my parents read it. And when they read it, they were just kind of like, it was like, again, that aha moment. It was like, oh, wow, this is really, really what you're going through. And for me, it was such a, such a positive release to write stuff and I, something I got into the habit of doing after. And he he posted that on the concussion news site and i think it had like five five thousand views or something like that and the amount of people messaging me either with support which is not what i was looking for whatsoever at the end of the day because i just wanted to get it get it out there so that people who might be going through the same experiences could learn from it even if it was helping one person that was that was a huge plus and you know for me that was that was a huge thing because I did have people who were coming to message me just to say, Hey, listen, like uh, I'm going through something similar or even I am struggling right now because I had a friend who passed away and, you know, just, just different stuff like that. And I got into the, the process of really not potentially helping those people, but just supporting them and listening to them and, and taking my experiences and, you know, valuing their experiences. And when I got into talking like that, I, was, I really enjoyed doing that. So I, I pushed further into completing my degree in psychology and went into the master's program at Mond and did uh, counseling psychology. And that was a, that was a huge thing that, that really helped and being able to do uh, that aspect of things because I could take what I learned in my experiences and use it in that kind of profession. And even if coaching didn't work out, I knew I had that to fall back on. And, and it was something I, I still love to do is, is help out players in that kind of role. And, and that, was, that was an important piece, but the mental health aspect, and then of course, transitioning into coaching on top of education and experience is that you have to value the mental health of each player. And, and that's the thing. And you have to know your players enough on a personal level to know that if they're having an off day that they need, they need to be supported. Now in saying that some players need support by kind of just being left alone until they come to you kind of thing. So you have to know your players enough for that. But that was a big thing that, that I learned is that you have to treat each individual player differently. If, if you're a coach who is strong minded, we'll say, and that your approach is the only way and your approach will have to work for each individual player. You're not going to connect with athletes of this generation. It's plain and simple. The athletes of this generation, they're confident, but they're insecure. They have a confident outer shell, but they're so insecure inside because of social media and, and that they're looking for support. They're looking for approval at, 
at any turn. So the biggest thing is that you have to, you have to, uh, uh, what's the way, accommodate that outer confidence by also tending to that supportive nature that they need on the insecurity in interior kind of. And that was a big thing because your communication has to be key with each player. And again, it's, it's not a failure if you don't do it right at some points. You just have to make sure that you, you kind of tiptoe into relationships because it is quick to break trust with players and it's so much tougher to get it back. So tiptoe and don't be afraid, like when it comes to mental health, to have those conversations with players as a group or as an overall team or, or individually, to have that conversation with players. But to really ask for their feedback on it, just to say, hey, listen, and, and of course, we're tailoring this to mental health right now in the conversation, but generally as well, like, hey, are, are we doing enough to support you? Uh, do you need any more resources? Do you, you know, need something else? And it's, it's going to happen that players need that additional support, whether it's coming from you as a coach, whether it's coming from a resource within the community, they, they might need those things. And it's, and it's not a reflection on you as a coach. It's a reflection on you as a coach is how you react to that. That if you kind of back off and you just say, ooh, you know, it's, it's not a taboo item, mental health anymore. It's something that we have to address. And it's, and it's something that we have to educate players on that. Listen, if you're not feeling okay, that's fine. Listen, you're not going to feel perfect 100% of the time. It, it's, it's just unreasonable. You're going to have days in which you're tired which you might think that it leads to something else. You're going to have times in which the, pre in which the pressure is kind of, you feel like it's caving down on you a little bit. That's going to be okay. But the important thing is to seek supportive strategies. And that's what I like to do with uh, a sports performance piece, which is the way I was going to go if, if coaching didn't plan out. But that's something that we started to do a, a lot more this year in Rouen is, is that kind of mental skill side of things in which I would uh, do individual kind of evaluation with the players to see how they rank themselves on uh, certain mental skills and strategies. And then from there, we, I, like we ended up running into not setting enough time aside for it throughout the year, but that's something that we're going to do uh, in, in, in further years and further seasons. But um, that's, that's a big thing is, is being able to set time aside for that so that they know it's important and that they know that they have the resources, they know they have the relationship with the coaches to come and say that, hey, listen, I'm not feeling right, I need, I need some help. And that's such a big thing that I've pushed on the players because in my experience, I didn't do that. I, I, it's not that I was too afraid to go and talk to the coaches. Like I talked to, to the therapist or, or trainer or whatnot and said to them like, hey, listen, I'm not doing the best. But the, the coaches are the ones that like the whole staff are the ones that surround that player in, a, in an environment kind of for, for success and for positivity, for growth. And, and that, and that was a big thing that I keep pushing on coaches, keep pushing on players. And my experiences like that is just that you have to be open-minded. You have to, uh, you have to be willing and agreeing to kind of um, just tackle that, tackle that topic and, and not be afraid of it. And if you don't know something, go to resources, find resources in the community. You, you don't need to know everything as a coach and you, you can learn about it after. And that's such an important piece is to continue to learn. And again, we go back to that about learning and experience, but 
that's such an important piece is, is just to learn about these things. Learn how you can surround your players with the most support as possible while pushing them outside of their comfort zone. So that when you push them outside of their comfort zone, that's what everyone always says. They, they always develop and get better outside of their comfort zone. But you need to make sure that you have support and resources and strategies in place, whether it's you or within the community or, or online or whatever it might be, that if the player takes too much of a step outside of that comfort zone, starting to not feel the best with that or mental health-wise, they're, they're not feeling the best, and at least you're planning to prepare for it, and it's not a big shock, and you're scrambling around, you're feeling the pressure yourself on how to deal with it, but you're just prepared and, and planned for it and ready to just execute when the time comes. Yeah, I, th I think that's an exceptional answer to that question. And, you know, uh, you know, obviously we talk about mental health and, and your story and then being able to share that and others are going through different things. And, and just in a general sense, you know, just having that support. And uh, we talked, I've talked about with other coaches and other general managers, you know, being a sounding board for those players. And you touched on talking with, you know, uh, trainers and, and different people in the team. And, uh, you know, there's so much that goes on around the game. Like you, you see the on ice product, but there's so much that goes on behind the scenes. So I think it's important at any level to, uh, you know, understand what players are going through and, and be there for them when they need it. Um, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. And we, we've talked about a lot of lessons, you know, about the experience and, and you've touched on a number of things, but looking back at your career to date, uh, what are some of the other major lessons that you've learned during your time in hockey? Yeah, so for this one, I'm, I'll be a bit more direct, um, just so that the uh, the main message, I guess, doesn't get uh, convoluted with a lot of my rambling. But uh, there's there's a few things that really stick out in my mind. Experience. Experience comes in all shapes and forms. It's not just in playing experience. Uh, it can be in any facet of the, of the game or in life in general. If you can put a twist on it, how it's going to help your coaching, scouting, managing, whatever it might be, make sure that you really take a hold of that, learn from it. Uh, one, of, one of my coaches and who I coach with, Steve Power, always said to me, a, a good coach, uh, I forget the exact saying now, but ultimately what he would say is that a good coach uh, learns every day, but a great coach is a great thief. And, you know, the, ultimately the biggest thing is that you can learn every day just within yourself but, and that's imperative, that if you're not learning every day, then you're taking steps backwards. You're not staying the same, you're taking steps backwards. And that's so important, but a great coach is a great thief in the sense that they look to other coaches. And don't be afraid to, you know, look to another coach and say, hey, you know, they're doing this kind of drill in practice or they're, they're doing this really well. Or even when you're scouting and you look at how another scouting group or another scout does something a little bit differently and you can tweak that into yourself don't be afraid to do that. Of course, keep your own style. That's so important at the end of the day is to keep your own style, but incorporate different aspects from other people to really be able to help that. Um, be, be open-minded. That's very important. Be open-minded and not just within yourself, but to what players and staff and other people around you are saying to you, be open-minded and learn from, from those things. Even if it's a very, very, what you would perceive as a very negative situation, uh, learn from it. Learn one thing from that situation. It, like, if you get fired, why why did you get fired? You know, if you got let go, why did why did I get let go? What what can I do better so that I can learn from this experience and move on so that I have more stability and more longevity in my next role? Um, 
further further on from that, the biggest thing and most important thing for me is is on top of the learning and experience is communication. Communication is so critical. And no matter if you, again, if you're a scout, a manager, or a coach, if you're not a good communicator, then you're you're just not going to have as good success as you want to. You know, there's still coaches and people who have success not being as good a communicator. But the thing is, is that just with the athletes these days and with people in this day and time is that communication is so key. And it, and it has to be a good mix of supportive communication in which that you're active listening, that you're not speaking to people, you're speaking with people, you're listening as much as you're talking, but also that you have to be honest. And for me, one thing that I'm still trying to focus on is being uh, not opinionated, but is to speak my opinion and not worry about getting feed like negative feedback. And that's something I struggle with now and something that I'm really, really uh, pushing myself to get better at is to voice my opinion and not worry about if someone says no or no, that's, that's dumb. Like I can't control what other people say. I control what I say. And that's such an important piece and, and big thing I'm learning and continually learning is speak my mind. If it's, in done in a productive way and and think about what you're going to say first never speak with emotion or anything like that but think first and then from there if i say what i want to say then i feel good about what i what i've said and the fact that i could say it and that i can't control what other people are going to say in return so i i can't really control that so i don't put any second thought into that i guess is is the way to put it yeah and those are great lessons and obviously it's it comes from those multiple experiences over time as a player and uh obviously as a coach but uh, on the topic of learning and guidance i know you mentioned a few different names uh but touch on some mentors who have really have to, uh, helped you uh, get to where you are today yeah definitely and and for me i i always had the mindset that when people people ask me this question um it, it's it's tough that there's there's certain people who really jump out there, there are certain people who really jump out. You know, Steve Power is one who coached me growing up as a player. And, and right now I could call Steve at, uh, at midnight and just say, hey, Steve, listen, I'm, I'm struggling with this right now. Um, do you mind helping me out? And he would say absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's, Steve's a huge Habs, Habs fan, actually. And he, um, he always said – First, first game of the Bell Center, I'm coming up. First game of the Bell Center, I'm coming up as a player. And now as a coach, first game of the Bell Center, I'm coming up. First game of the Bell Center. Listen, if finally, you know, knock on wood, finally I get there, I'm flying you up. It doesn't matter. I'm flying you up. So, you know, he, he's definitely one person. And you talk about the role a coach can have or a person can have when, you know, I, just to backtrack a little bit. And he, he was a guy, I remember I was going through some, some alcohol abuse problems um and it was, uh, it was a touch on drugs during mental health and you know that's when I really sought a lot of help uh professionally from that and more support from family members that I remember he caught wind of what I was going through and I I think it might have been it was, it was a weekday night for sure and he found out he called me at 8 eight thirty at night or something like that and said hey listen I just found out what's going on are, are you in trouble I said, no, I'm not in trouble, but I'm just not, I'm not in a good place. He dropped what he was doing. He came over to, to my parents' house, sat down with me for an hour, hour and a half, and just, just chatted to me. And that's something that I'll never, ever forget, and I'm so grateful for. And, you know, I, I still rely on, uh, rely on him when time comes. And I know that 
through communication with him that if he ever needed something that he could, he could rely on me in return as well. But, you know, it's, uh, I'm truly grateful for him. And, you know, Scott Gordon is another guy who I mentioned, uh, who I coached with, with the blizzard, who coached me in hockey schools growing up and still a guy who I talked to running things off of. And, uh, he was certainly, certainly a, a very, very important person in my learning early on in, in hockey. And, um, you know, another person for sure right now is Mario, Mario Pugliot. I mean, he's, he's certainly helped me a lot, uh, uh, especially uh, being involved, trying to push on into higher leagues and, and develop and learn. He's definitely been a great mentor for me right now. And for me, I, I always always say again that everybody can be a mentor in one way or another, whether you learn how not to do something from someone, they can still be a mentor and that you learn a different way of doing things. And of course, you know, you just, you just learn so much from so many different people in different ways, whether it's, oh, I really like the way they do that. I'm going to do that. Or I, eh, that didn't really have good, uh, good feedback or consequence. What they just did there, I might avoid that, or I might try to do it a little bit of a different way. So mentorship wise, I've had some, some incredible learning opportunities. And of course, you know, my parents, uh, my parents outside of hockey, uh, they, you know, continue to support my, my brothers and, you know, just, just anybody. And I'm sure thinking after, once we get off doing this now that I'm going to say, Oh my God, this person, and just be like, oh, I can't believe I didn't mention them. But you know, there's just so many, so many great people in your life that you can learn from as long as you develop that relationship and develop that uh, communication and that honesty and that kind of symbiotic, you know, given, given take on both ends that you're going to learn from a lot of different people. So I've, I've had the privilege of of really having some great mentors in my life. Yeah, that's for sure. And it, it, you know, it it keeps coming back to the fact that support is, is key. And, and uh, you know, I I know a number of those names and Scott Gordon obviously scouted a little bit in the CHL level and, uh, you know, it's, it's great to hear that you had these people who were there for you, uh, even in the toughest times. And, you know, you touch on family, obviously, being a, a huge aspect in, as a player or as a coach or uh, as a scout, you know, et cetera. It, it all comes back to having that support around you. So it's great to hear that uh, that was there from day one. Uh, you know, as a final question, I always ask people about uh, one piece of advice. Uh, maybe looking back at yourself coming out of Mount Pearl or or someone else maybe in a small town or, uh, you know, a similar situation that is looking to one day uh, coach at the QMJHL level. What's one piece of advice that you would give them? Don't forget where you come from. That's a, <clears throat> that's a huge thing. Don't forget where you come from, whether it's from, um, you know, a rural community in Newfoundland, whether it's from Toronto, whether it's from, you know, a, a, a huge place like New York city or Los Angeles or wherever, do not forget where you come from. And, and it's not just your upbringing, family life when you're younger, but what you learned, your, your smaller opportunities, your, your lower roles, your early days off in the game. Just never forget that and, and never be too big for that. And, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a, such an important piece that um, I'll always be humbled by and I'll never forget is that I'm a proud Newfoundland Labradorian I'll never ever turn my back on where I came from never ever turn my back on those who have helped me or who I've helped or, or anything like that like um I'm in, like being involved with Hockey Canada right now um they they had said well I hope uh you're still going to help out with with Hockey Newfoundland Labrador I said oh my god like why would I not 
I mean, that's, that's who helped me out and got me where I am today. Why would I turn my back on those who have helped me? And, you know, you, you just, I guess, you get into some situations in which coaches or, or staff or managers or scouts or whoever it might be get up to a certain point and, and don't look back. They keep looking forward, which, hey, might work for them. But for me, it's, it's the foundation is your past, and that really helps to continue to build your present and your future. So that, that's, a, that's a big thing for me is don't ever forget where you come from, the lessons you've learned along the way, and how you can help the people who are starting off in your shoes that you were in previously. I think that's a tremendous way to put it and a great way to finish off the interview. Brad, I just want to thank you for taking some time today and joining us on the podcast and sharing your story as both a player and a coach. And I'm sure people will definitely, um, you know, be interested to hear about your story and, and we'll follow up in the future. So once again, thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. I love, uh, love the opportunity to, to ramble about hockey in, in one way or another. So forever, for whoever is is tuning in, I mean, don't hesitate to to look me up on on Twitter and send me a message if you have any any further questions. Like I said, I'm very open. Love talking hockey. Love talking about my experiences and how I can help people, and, and especially with the mental health side of things. The the state of the world right now in the state of hockey is that it's it's very uh, unpredictable, and, and a lot of people are struggling with with the aspect of that unpredictability. So if anybody ever struggles with any of those kind of aspects or, or has similar experiences and want to talk about it, then please don't hesitate. I'm an open door and um, I'm always here to listen if, if that's what you need. So don't hesitate to reach out. All right. Thanks, Brad. Thanks, Ryan. All the best. I'd like to thank Brad for coming on the podcast and talking about his career to date and sharing in detail his journey both on and off the ice. Having had success at a number of levels while also experiencing his discussed roadblocks, I think Brad's story is one that should be shared with everyone. So again, I'd like to thank him for taking the time to come on the podcast to do just that. If you're interested in speaking with Brad about his career, I encourage you to reach out to him directly or contact Hockey Minds Podcast at Outlook.com and I can look to make that connection for you. On the next podcast, I'll be joined by Ian Beckenstein, who is a hockey operations assistant with the Laval Rocket. Ian does a ton of information sharing through his video coach's Twitter account and his personal newsletter. So between those sources and his wealth of experience in some unique areas, he will bring a different perspective, which I think listeners will enjoy. So stay tuned for that release. As always, I want to thank everyone for the continued support interaction, and interest in future episodes. With that, stay safe and all the best.